You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Utterly. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today and I'm glad you've joined me. It's my hope and prayer that as you hear through my words the thoughts of God as expressed in the Bible, that you may want to change your life to be a follower of Jesus. And I hope that you're drawing closer to him as the Holy Spirit leads you. I hope you're committing your life to Jesus because he did not shrink from committing himself to die in order to save you and me. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus was speaking about his crucifixion and said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. What he meant was that through his death and resurrection, he made it possible for people to have their sins forgiven and to have life, eternal life. Well, about ten years ago, my wife and I went as volunteers to the Kiribati Islands to help with re-roofing some school buildings at the Kauma Secondary School on a remote island known as Abamama. Kiribati is on the equator in the Pacific Ocean. It's a series of coral atolls, and the highest land point is only about two metres above sea level. Unfortunately, we arrived just when their national holidays for independence were on, and the two planes owned by the Kiribati Airlines were not flying to where we needed to go. But the organiser of our trip managed to convince the captain of a trading vessel, a large catamaran, to transport the building materials and the volunteers to Abamama. The trip by sea took an afternoon and a night. After leaving the dock at the main island of Tarawa, we headed out to sea, and by mid-afternoon no land was in sight. We saw a flying fish gliding along, and I saw one that travelled in the air for about a hundred metres before returning to the water. Now I've been to some very remote areas in the outback of Australia, but out there on the huge Pacific Ocean, with no land in sight, I thought of the words of Jesus when he spoke to the disciples and said, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This had to be the uttermost, remotest, loneliest place on the planet. That word uttermost is a superlative, meaning the greatest, the most extreme, unequaled by anything, and ploughing through those Pacific waters on a rattle-trap trading boat was not a comforting thought. At night we slept, oh, 
or rather tried to sleep on the hard wooden deck with a towel for a mattress. To make matters worse, the boat was infested with small ants that kept on using us as an ant road, and now and then they would attempt to bite bits out of our skin. Uh, at least it was a memorable experience. Now, have you ever tried to do the limbo? I mean the game where the winner is the one can make his or her way under a stick without falling over. Whoever is lowest wins. Well, Jesus went to the uttermost lengths to save fallen humanity. He went as far as he could go, and that was to give his life. John Newton, who lived in the 1700s, was a slave trader. He had a very dramatic experience that caused him to write the words of probably the world's best-known hymn, Amazing Grace. And here briefly is his story. Written about two and a half centuries ago in 1772, the words for the beloved song were born from the heart, mind and experiences of the Englishman John Newton. Knowing the story of Newton's life as a slave trader and the journey he went through before writing that hymn will help to understand the depth of his words and his gratefulness for God's truly amazing grace. Having lived through a rather unfortunate and troubled childhood because his mother passed away and he was just six, Newton spent years fighting against authority, going so far as trying to desert the Royal Navy in his twenties. Later, abandoned by his crew in West Africa, he was forced to be a servant to a slave trader, but was eventually rescued. On the return voyage to England, a violent storm hit and almost sank the ship prompting Newton to begin his spiritual conversion as he cried out to God to save them from the storm. Upon his return, however, Newton became a slave ship master, a profession in which he served for several years. Bringing slaves from Africa to England over multiple trips, he admitted to sometimes treating the slaves abhorrently. In 1754, after becoming violently ill on a sea voyage, Newton abandoned his life as a slave trader, the slave trade and seafaring altogether, wholeheartedly devoting his life to God's service. Newton had lived a life of debauchery and evil, but recognised that God had protected him from death on many occasions, especially when the ship he was on almost sank off the west coast of Africa. After his conversion, he studied for and became a minister. For 43 years he preached to many people about the love of God and his tremendous grace. One biographer writing about Newton, said, 
John Newton was known as the great blasphemer. He sank so low at one point that he was even a servant to slaves in Africa for a brief period. His mother had prayed he would become a minister and had early taught him the scriptures and Isaac Watts's divine songs for children. Some of those early childhood teachings came to mind now. He remembered Proverbs 1 verses 24 to 31. And in the midst of that storm, those verses seemed to confirm and comfort Newton in his despair. John Newton had rejected his mother's teachings and had led other sailors into unbelief as well. Certainly, he was beyond hope and beyond saving, even if the scriptures were true. Yet, strangely, Newton's thoughts began to turn to Christ. He found a New Testament and began to read. Luke 11 verse 13 seemed to assure him that God might still hear him. And this is what that verse says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. What was that verse again in Luke eleven thirteen, that so impressed John Newton? It is, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Newton felt like someone doing the limbo. Morally, he went about as low as he could go. The first verse of the poem he wrote describes his conversion experience, and this is what it says. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Well, you might have been someone who, like Newton, has done some really bad things in your life. The trouble is most of us have. Some people wonder if they can ever be forgiven of their sins because they feel so condemned. And you might have wondered if God could ever forgive you. And I want to declare to you that God can and is willing to forgive you even if you've done the most wicked things. For example, he forgave Saul, who was later known as the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer, arranging the capture, torture and deaths of perfectly innocent people. Why? because they honoured Jesus Christ in their lives. They were not criminals. They just had a different master. If you feel that you're unforgivable, take hope. Take these words into your mind from Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, which says, Wherefore, 
He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Notice the extent by which someone is saved. The text said it is to the uttermost. Jesus went to the uttermost lengths to save lost sinners, and because of that, he saves to the uttermost. I've mentioned it before, and it bears repeating. You cannot out-sin God's grace. If you are truly sorry for what you've done wrong, and you come to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness, you will be utterly, completely forgiven, and in his sight be declared righteous, just as if you had never sinned. Well, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Now, I want to share a true life story that helps illustrate what I've just been talking about. And this is a true story about a man, William Ayot, who lived in Manitoba, Canada. But you're going to have to wait until after the break.
Before the break, I mentioned that William Ayot lived in Manitoba, Canada. And it was in the year 2013, and William says, It was 5am when I heard somebody screaming, Help! Help! It's a bear! I opened my front door and there was a 275-pound polar bear sitting on its haunches with a woman in its mouth, waving her around like a rag doll. I thought to myself, I've got no weapon or anything. Then I saw my shovel sitting there and found myself going to get it. Once I picked it up, I thought, well, am I going to do anything? Or is that woman going to die? So down the steps I went. When I got over there, I stepped up and hit the bear in the eye. I heard this is the best way to fight a bear. He let go of the woman and she ran into my house. The bear reached out and grabbed hold of me. And the mauling was on. He tore off my right ear and I was, I was waiting for him to bite me again. A neighbour fired a shotgun, but it didn't do any good. So he jumped into his truck and gunned it towards us. I was on my belly on the ground watching this vehicle speeding our way and it stopped about two feet away before the bear let me go. I spent seven days in the hospital. They worked on me for four hours one day to staple my wounds and then for four hours the next day putting my ear back on. So I came out of it pretty good. I never saw myself as a hero and I still don't. You're dealt a situation and you either respond or you don't do anything. People say, would you have done anything differently? You know, I haven't got the faintest idea. The only thing I could think of was if I don't do anything, she's not going to make it. The woman, Erin Green, was in serious trouble. The bear had a hold of her, was shaking the life of her, and had the intent of killing her. She cried out for help. William heard the cry, and at the risk to himself did what he can save her life. His intervention almost cost him his life. Fortunately, another neighbour saved the situation so that William was eventually able to relate his story. Now, the parallel is this, that we, as sinners, are in trouble. Unless we receive outside help, we are doomed. Jesus, at great personal risk and cost to himself, came and took on himself our sins and the punishment for our sins, that we, like Aaron Green, could go free. Before Jesus came to this sin-soaked planet, Isaiah, a prophet of God, under inspiration wrote about Jesus. Here's what he said, Surely he took up our infirmities, and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. William was wounded for Aaron. Christ was not only wounded, but was killed to save us. In case you're wondering, if you repent of your sins, does God keep a secret record of your wrongdoings in case he needs to dredge up something to use against you in the future? Well, I'll let the Bible answer that question. From Micah 7 verse 9, it says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, if you lose a ring, a watch, or, as has happened with some, your false teeth in the depths of the sea, what chance is there that you'll retrieve it again? Well, I'd say pretty much zero. The same as with God. When you're forgiven, that's it. But mind you, you may still have the tendency to sin, and that's where you must ask the Lord to give you his strength to be an overcomer. But wait, there's more. Here's another promise about what God will do with your forgiven sins, and it's found in Psalm 103 and verse 12. And this is what it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he, that's God, remove our transgressions from us. You know, it's impossible to find a place in the world where east and west actually meet. As that is so, it's also impossible for our forgiven sins to be reaccounted to us. When God forgives, he forgives utterly. Well, let's see another promise God makes about forgiveness. It's found in Isaiah 43, verse 25. And it says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Well, are you convinced yet? I want to share with you two more promises about forgiveness. This one is from Hebrews 8.12. God says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And the last one, it's from Hebrews 1.9. And it says, If we confess our sins, he that God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I once met a lady who was deeply troubled, troubled by her life. She obviously had done something really bad, and maybe many, many times, and she regretted what she had been and done. She said to me that God could not forgive her, as she had just been too bad. 
And I shared with her some of these promises I've just shared with you. But she found it impossible to believe that she could be forgiven. If you think God cannot forgive you, you are basically saying God is a liar. God is righteous and good and he doesn't tell lies. His promises are true. God does not want you to perish. He wants to save you, as is explained in John 3, verses 16 to 18, and this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, and that's Jesus. It's not necessary to do some great act of penance, to self-inflict yourself, to do a lot of good deeds or to pay a lot of money to receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is a free gift. All you need to do is sincerely ask for forgiveness and you are from that point forgiven. Utterly forgiven, that is. My hope is that you will then want to live in newness of life and break with your old life. From personal experience, I know that the battle with your old nature and the tendency to sin usually does not stop there. To be an overcomer will require you to commit yourself to the Lord and seek Him and His will for your life. And with God's blessings and the help of the Holy Spirit, you will overcome Utterly, that is.